The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. This year, my community orchard in Ben Nobleman Park in Toronto is looking absolutely beautiful. And that's due to the hard work of the volunteers. And they include three young, fantastic students from local schools who have joined us on stewardship days. Until now, the team has been really busy weeding around the fruit trees in the park, and last week we were finally ready to feed our trees. We spread out two inches of quality compost, and we also added some biochar from the American Biochar Company and biofertilizer from Earth Alive. Hey, we all need good quality nutrition, and in our park we make sure our trees get it. But we do have a serious problem in our orchard park. And that is something that our hardworking volunteers can't really fix. And that's poor quality soil. You see, our community orchard was planted on a site where there was once an apartment building. And in many areas, the soil is compressed. And that makes it really hard for tree roots to expand and for essential microorganisms in the soil to thrive. So what do you do if your fruit trees have been planted in poor quality compressed soil? That's what we're going to discuss in the show today. My guest is Glenn Percival. Her manages the Bartlett Tree Experts Research Laboratory in the United Kingdom. And Glenn has been studying the impact of combining vertical mulching with worm technology as a way of improving tree health in compressed soil. But before we dig into today's topic, I really want to hear from you. If you're listening to this show live, you can send in a question or a comment about today's topic, or you can just email us to say hi. Once we get your email, we will enter you into today's contest. And today's rather amazing prize is a silky handsaw valued at 105 US dollars donated by Bartlett Tree Experts. So do you want to win this professional quality handsaw? Well, if you do, just send us an email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com 
That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to put your name and where you are writing from. So I look forward to hearing from you. So now with me on the show today is Glenn Percival. Glenn, Glenn thank you so much for coming on the show today. No, it, it, it's a pleasure. And uh, thank you very much for inviting me back. So glad to have you back. And we're talking about soil and poor quality soil. So there may be a lot of people listening, Glenn, who don't even know what what that means. How do you know right away that your soil is compressed or really bad quality? Is there a way you can find out without doing a soil test? Well, there is. And I was believing keeping things really, really simple. And uh, as I always say, when people ask me the same question, it, it comes down to one real issue. If, if you don't like digging it, trees don't like growing in it. So just go out there with the, your spade and fork. And if you're having issues turning the soil over, then that's a really good indication that the soil's compact. Yeah, now I can see that. And actually in our park, there's certain parts of the park where you start digging where we were hoping to plant a tree and it's like rock solid. It's so hard. Also, what about worms? Um, you know, if you're growing vegetables, you do expect to see worms in your soil. What about, you know, in a general site where you're thinking of planting a tree? Should you have worms there? You, you know, worms are a great measure of soil fertility. If you really, because we, we know that, and you touched on it, soils have a lot of biological activity because we, we have to remember one important thing. Soil is a living, breathing organism. Uh, and as you say, it is in essence alive. So a real quick way of determining how fertile the soil is, is, is the general rule is for every spade full of soil, you should have between four to six worms. If you're turning the soil over and there's no worms in it, it is a really good indicator that there is something wrong with the soil, i.e. it could be possibly contaminated, very low fertility, it could be compact. So let's talk now about the tree's perspective. Here, you know, you've planted your tree in the soil that may be less than perfect. How will it actually affect the tree? Is it simply a problem with the roots not being able to push through? Uh, you know, let's get a little a close up view of how the tree feels about being in crummy soil. Yeah, th th that is pretty much in essence, there's, there's two major problems with a soil that, that is compacted. One is, what we would term physical impedance to root growth, that the roots simply cannot push through the soil, that you can't get that, you know, nice big uh, spread of root system we want. And the other issue is, is because the soil is so compact, you've, you've squeezed all the oxygen out of it, or most of the oxygen, and obviously roots are alive and they need oxygen to breathe. And, and without that oxygen or with low levels of oxygen, it's, it's gonna influence how they grow. Just, just as it would us, you know, the oxygen levels go down and we struggle quite badly. So does any living organism. So that, that is the two main issues that, that we face. So with us, if you put us in a room with low oxygen, I don't know, we, I guess we turn blue, uh, we don't look too good. Um, what will a tree look like if it's struggling and it doesn't have enough oxygen, it doesn't have enough nutrients, the soil, like, will you actually see some side effects or yes, on the tree? The, the initial symptoms tend to be, obviously they, they are manifest above ground. I mean, first of all, uh, you will have a, a sparse canopy. You'll see it influenced by uh, premature leaf drop. 
the leaves will be paler, maybe slightly necrotic, as in they start to go brown around the peripheral edges. And one of the techniques I always like to use is, is most healthy trees, kind of irrespective of species, should grow at least 10 centimeters or four inches a year. So I always measure the, the new growth the tree has put on at the end of the growing season. And, and I say, I know it will differ between species, but really if, if you're having less than, than four inches, then it really is indicating the tree's not very happy. So most of the people who are listening to the show today, they grow fruit trees and fruit trees are expected to grow way more than four inches a year. There is a big expectation that it'd be, you know, minimum 12 inches, maybe 24 inches, depending if it's a cherry tree or a plum tree. So our, uh, you know, I know you work both with fruit trees and with native and ornamental trees. How are fruit trees different in terms of what they need in terms of soil? Well, fruit trees, because I mean, in essence, like you say, we're growing them for for the yield, the amount of fruit. So they tend to really need potentially more TLC. You know, they need, uh, as you say, you touched uh, the beginning with with the the wood chip layer of mulch and the biochar. These are excellent soil amendments we can use to really improve fertility. So. Uh, you know, they maybe need higher uh, inputs of types of of fertilizers, whether they're, you know, organic or natural, compared more to like trees going in urban landscapes. So it it is a case that they are designed, as I say, to produce fruit. So sometimes you tend to find maybe their stress tolerance, their disease resilience isn't quite as great as maybe some of our more hardier trees that would see growing in like urban landscapes such as streets and car parks yeah that and disease talking about disease i mean for anybody who grows fruit trees knows that disease can be such a problem pests can be such a problem we have an email here and let's see who it's from hello susan thanks for your radio show today we love it just saying hello from red deer alberta interesting topic thank you and that's from wallace in red deer alberta thank you wallace so so okay we know that compressed soil not a good thing how tell me what happened with you how did you start your study like how did this all come about that you started to study compressed soil well i mean compressed soil in urban landscapes is has always been a a a major issue uh you know we have pedestrians we have traffic we have lots and lots of infrastructure and it's probably one of the major I, i would say potentially killers of trees in urban landscape they're you know, yeah, I've seen people planting trees and, and they're using like pickaxes and crowbars to try and get a hole in the ground. And, and I would say, if you're planting trees into that level of compaction, they're really not going to survive, irrespective of species. And, and it was really just constantly seeing, you know, going to these new building developments, going to construction sites, and even like, you know, a lot of supermarket car parks have lots of trees and they all look awful they're all struggling and it's just this issue of of compaction so that's kind of what really brought me into that area and then we started to look at potential technologies that we could use to to really overcome compaction what works what doesn't work 
because sometimes you can get some systems that really do work, but they're incredibly expensive. And of course, time and money then become factors. So it's a case of, we'd love to use this technology, but it's too expensive. So maybe we can start looking at other ones, which is really where the kind of where the vertical motion came into play, because that is actually a, a relatively cheap and inexpensive way of decompacting soils. So tell me about vertical mulching. That's so interesting because we talk about mulching our fruit trees. Um, we do circles around the fruit trees, expand the circles out to the edge of the canopy to yeah. make sure that we can feed the roots. So there's no grass around, you know, our fruit trees, you know, up until the edge of the canopy. We put down beautiful compost. We might put wood chips on top. Um, and that's sort of mulching from the top. So maybe yes. that's horizontal mulching. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll call that horizontal mulching. But what, what is vertical mulching and how is it different? Vertical mulching is, it, it is pretty much what you've said. In, in this case, all we do is, is we take a core of soil out of the ground. I mean, before any large scale planting, I mean, as, as I always say, I, I teach a lot of arborists. And the first thing they do is, is, is look up. They always look into the canopy. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. I mean, 90% of all tree-related problems are caused by problems below ground, i.e. the soil. You get the soil right, and the trees will do wonderfully well. So really, given the fact that in many cases, uh, you know, the vertical motion is, is where we Simply, we would do a soil analysis. We would work out whether we do have a, a compact soil. We would send it away for analysis for its nutrient composition. Uh, again, would maybe look at its drainage. And if the soil really is very, very poor, we simply take out cores of soil and, and just take it away. And then we backfill. We put in a really nice, uh, we use a mix of, we, we, we buy a soil in the UK called John Innes. It's a very high quality topsoil. Uh, we would mix it with a really good kind of tree compost. We would put some organic matter in there, really something that the roots are going to flourish in. We know they're going to, to thrive. And uh, th that's really about it. There's many types of formulation you can use, you know, once you've taken the, the bad soil away, but we just find a good quality topsoil mixed in with compost and some organic matter if, for example, uh, the soil is very alkaline, if the pH is too high, that will be a good time to add some of these pH amendments, such as like iron sulfate, something like that, just to lower the pH. So really, that, that's it in a nutshell, just taking cores out at fixed distances under the canopy and either replacing it with a really good quality soil, or if the soil you have is reasonable, you could then amend that soil. And, and a great additive you could use is, is biochar that you mentioned earlier. And I'm a huge fan of biochar. I think it's a great soil amendment and we've had some really excellent results using it. So I always look at addition of biochar into soils through vertical mulching to the, either the existing soil or to a, a fresh soil we've made up. So I want to get a little more specific. You talk about taking these core samples so describe what that process looks like. Do you need a fancy machine? I mean, obviously with a shovel, you couldn't really make a long skinny, you know, hole in you without damaging the roots of your tree. So describe what are these core uh, samples? 
there's there's two pieces of equipment you can use one if you do have the money you can buy what we call a mechanical auger it, it's in essence like a very very large drill it makes holes uh you only need to go three inch wide and we normally make them down to something like maybe 12 to uh, 15 inch below ground. So uh, you can either use a mechanical auger or there is another uh, you, an implement you can buy. It's called a Dutch auger. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. In essence, it, it really is like a giant corkscrew and you can just put it on and you can just twist it round and round and, and it is slower. But at the same time, it's far more inexpensive. So if you have a small area, it makes it economically feasible. And, and again, the Dutch auger will, will last for years. So in some instance, we will just come in with the Dutch auger and start taking cores out, doing it that way. I mean, at the same time, there has been a lot of criticism of the vertical mulching because people will say, well, it damages the root system. I was going to ask, yeah. A valid point it does damage the root system, which is why, what I always say, it's, it's like that little bit of short-term damage is, is more than compensated by the long-term gains. Because if you don't alleviate the compaction, the tree will not magically get better. It will just go into a slow and steady decline and, and it will eventually die and you'll end up removing it. So. That short-term damage, as I say, in my opinion, I, I'm sure there'll be people out there who will disagree, but I would always say, to me, it's worth it. Alleviate the, the compaction. And that little bit of damage to the root system is more than justified. Okay, we have a question here from Julie from Scarborough, Ontario. She says, my dogs love to chase each other around the trees in the backyard. Our lawn is mostly clover with a bit of yarrow but the dogs trample down the dirt around the fruit trees and nothing seems to grow where they run. When we planted the trees, the soil was beautiful, but the trees seemed to be uh, very inviting to the dogs as an obstacle course. <laughs> um, she says, we have a quince, an Asian pear and a plum tree, and they love to weave around them. We tried putting down mulch in the bare patches. What do you recommend? Thank you, Julie. Well, again, the first thing I would do is, is just test the soil. I mean, the simple one is pH, because pH can have a huge influence. Uh, you know, maybe just look at the nutrient composition, if there's any deficiencies or potential toxicities. And then I think this is where a Dutch auger would be absolutely ideal. Just take out some small cores just around the tree, actually get some really good quality uh, soil, some good quality organic fertilizer, just, you know, below ground level, and then just try and put the mulch layer back. And, and I'm sure, you know, in similar situations where we've done that, we, you know, we really have had some great results. Well, it's interesting because I've seen pictures and I will put up your PowerPoint on this page uh, where the, the, um, where the radio show will be posted afterwards. And when I see the pictures of where you're making your holes for vertical mulching, it is actually underneath the canopy of the tree. So I'm not sure if Julie's dogs are actually running very close to the tree or in the walkway between. But what you're saying is, again, you, you need to put, I don't know how many holes, if it's like a big you know, Asian pear tree, let's say she only does five holes or something. 
And I, I think what I'm understanding is you're making sure the tree gets access to nutrition. It's a way to fight back because of the compressed soil around it a little further away. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, in, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You are right. I mean, in terms of distance, we normally find something like, sorry, I, I'm trying to convert to, to I use uh, metric. Uh, we normally go 30 to 50 centimeters, you know, to make the holes. And I, I mean, the other issue, if the dogs are running around the tree and, and the area under the canopy, then you could do it like a, a giant grid and really just have the holes every 50 centimeters apart and just go down to, like we say, maybe just something like 10, 12 inch. And, and I'm sure that would have a huge positive impact on the tree. Sounds good. Okay, we've got an email here. Uh, who is this from? Let's see. Aldo from Toronto writes, organic soil bought at nurseries. Is this soil good to mulch around the base of fruit trees in the spring? Should you do mulching during the growing season? Thanks, Aldo. So he's talking about soil that you buy, soil that you buy in bags from the garden center, not necessarily compost or manure. He's talking about organic soil. Right. My only concern, if you use soil as a, uh, as a mulch, what you could run the risk of doing is maybe running, bringing up the soil levels too high and actually burying the root collar. And that's not really a good thing. Now, the beauty of using a, a, a mulch, which is normally derived from wood chips, something like that, is it degrades. And so it really doesn't influence the soil level because if you're just putting soil on top of soil, you're bulking up the level and that can actually be quite detrimental. So if I had an organic soil, I personally wouldn't use it as, as, as a mulch layer. I would literally apply it as a vertical mulching and get it below ground. You really don't want to start putting soil on, on top of soil. That makes total sense. Okay, we got Roger wrote an email. So Roger says, hello, Susan and Glenn, writing to you from Howe Island, one of the thousand islands in the St. Lawrence River, Canada. Nice place. Uh, you have a very interesting topic today. Part of my property is clay and very hard to dig, while another part is sandy. The sandy soil is very easy to dig. However, I think it could benefit from vertical mulching and worm technology. Will you be covering this type of soil as well? That's Roger. Yes, I mean, when we kind of start talking more about the experimental setup, we will talk a little bit more about the amendments, but it is a good question because if I was treating a very heavy clay soil, then obviously that I, I would be adding uh, a, a, you know, replacing the soil with a more sandy one to try and get that mix of clay and sand. Where if I had a very sandy soil, then obviously I would be looking at a different amendment because sandy soils, uh, again, very prone to nutrient leaching because the water runs through them very quickly. Whereas a clay soil is, is literally the opposite. So, and, and potentially through vertical mulching, you could actually start to move the soils, take some of the sandy soil and put it into the clay and take some of the clay and put it into the sandy soil and then add some of these biochar amendments, a nice wood chip mulch, uh, the right types of organic fertilizers just to kind of get the root system stimulated and start to stimulate some of that biological activity in the soil 
such as worms, etc. Yeah. That's amazing. He, Roger's property would be fantastic to play around with. He has everything he needs. He's got exactly. the sand. He doesn't have to bring anything in. Okay, we've got an email from uh, listening from from Brett from Arlington, Texas. Is peat moss good for mixing in a new fruit tree? I think what he's saying is he, he wants to plant a new fruit tree. Should he be putting some mixing in some peat moss into the soil in Texas? Well, again, it's really going to come down to, to to actually his soil as it is at the moment. I mean, as, as we always say, if you have a good quality soil to begin with, you honestly don't really need any amendments. You don't need anything. The soil is. But if he has a poor quality soil, then any of these types of amendments like the peat moss, uh, uh, particularly if the pH of the soil is high, if it's an alkaline soil, then obviously that would help lower it. So to me, it always comes down to what I kind of mentioned earlier. You know, you really have to know your soil. And this is where I always find a soil nutrient analysis of great value. And again, that little simple compaction test. If you're struggling to dig the soil, then you have an issue with compaction. And that's when these amendments do start to work. So I'm not saying uh, don't use uh, a peat moss. I think whether or not it will have any benefit will depend on his soil as is, because in many cases, you know, I've, I, I've been on sites and uh, clients or builders or contractors have said, oh, we spent all this money and we added all this and the tree showed no improvement. And I was like, well, you didn't really need to add it in the first place, because if you've got a good quality soil, that's, it's all you need. It's all exactly. You need. Exactly. Okay, a couple more emails, and then we'll go for a little commercial break. But here's an interesting one from Bob from Regalsville, Pennsylvania. Bob says, Hi, great show. Question. I have a 120 year old sugar maple 80 foot tree, also a 20 tree fruit orchard, but the soil is great there. But this talking about the sugar maple, one quarter of the drip line area of the sugar maple is a dog yard slash patio. Very shady, hard to establish grass or other ground cover. So the ground or so, um, and soil is slowly eroding. Since there's constant activity there, are there any strategies on reversing compaction erosion in this heavily used area? Thanks, Bob. Sounds like Julie's question a little bit. Yes, yeah. I I think, first of all, here we're dealing with something very different because this is a very old tree. <laughs> and the older trees they get, uh, I kind of, a bit like us, a bit like humans, the more resilient to change they are. Mm. And so when it comes to these really old, like in, in the UK, we get these very old veteran trees. As we always say, you've got to be very careful, as in very cautious. So uh, if you wanted to amend the soil, I, I would suggest the vertical mulching in, you know, the quarter that the dogs are using because the product is being put below ground. But just do a little bit. I wouldn't really go in there and treat the entire area because it's a 120-year-old sugar maple and they would react, I would say, differently from a tree that's you know, 40, 50, 60 years old. This is an old tree. So by all means, do that. Do what we kind of recommended for Julie, but just do maybe just something like, you know, take the whole area, that whole quarter area 
and maybe only do something like 20% of it rather than treat. And then just slowly look at how the tree responds. And the trees tell you everything you need to know. If the leaves start to green up a little bit more and, you know, if that dieback starts to slow down or, you know, we all know our trees and, and we know what a, our trees should. Sometimes it's hard to define, if you know what I mean, because you can look at a tree and say, doesn't look right. And, and you know it doesn't look right, but you know when it does. But look for those signs that the tree is slowly improving. The leaves get a little bit bigger. They get a little bit greener. You get that little bit of extra extension growth. You see a slight better resilience to pests and diseases. But with a very 120-year-old sugar maple, uh, just do a little bit rather than the whole area. So the answer is be gentle, gentle with your nice little old tree. Okay, we've got one more question before the break, and that is from David. Hi, from Miami, Florida. Thanks for the great advice today. Stay healthy, David. Thank you, David. You stay healthy too. That's awesome. Okay, we have so much more to talk about. I want to talk about the experiment in Stockley Park that you did because you had such interesting results. But shall we take a moment and listen to a word from our wonderful sponsors? If you're okay, can we stay on the line for a minute or two, Glenn? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, everybody, we'll be back in just one minute. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. And we'll be back right after the break. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. 
Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to earthalivect.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training Website, OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In today's episode, we're talking about how to deal with poor quality and compressed soil. If you're growing fruit trees in soil like that, you are not going to experience much success in the long term. But my guest on the show today is Glenn Percival, who manages the Bartlett Tree Experts Research Laboratory in the United Kingdom. And he has discovered a way to improve compressed soil by using vertical mulching and worm technology. Now, in the first part of the show, we talked about how compressed soil affects tree growth and health. But now let's learn a little bit more about Glenn's experiment at Stockley Park in the United Kingdom. But before we continue, I would love to hear from you, the listeners. So if you're listening to this show live, just send in a question or a comment, or you can just send in an email to say hi. And we will enter you into today's contest, and you could win a silky handsaw valued at 105 US dollars, which was donated to this show by the Bartlett Tree Experts. So to enter the contest, send an email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. So Glenn, before we dive in a little bit more uh, to Stockley Park, there was another email here. We were talking about, in general, vertical mulching, and you were saying you would do a three-inch hole, a number of them, under the canopy of your fruit tree or your native tree um, in periodical little spots, and you would put good you know, soil and compost, a mix of good quality ingredients in there, and that that hole would be 12 inches deep. Yes. So here we have a question from Robin from Chelsea, Michigan. And Robin says, your recommendation is to put the hole 12 inches down, but is it okay for us to do a more shallow hole? Thanks for the presentation, Robin. Yes, I, I mean, th there's really no hard and fast rules here. It's just that we know the bulk of tree root systems are in the top 60 centimeters of soil. So by going down, you know, uh, 12 to 15 inch, you are going to get a good portion of the root systems. But any, even if you were only going down like two, three inches would be beneficial. We just went with, as I say, into the top 25, 30 centimeters of soil. So the, so the answer is yes. Yeah. Even if you can just make one or two inch deep, it's going to be beneficial. 
it'll be beneficial. Okay, so let's talk about Stockley Park. That's where you did your experiment. And vertical mulching has been around for a while, I understand. Yeah. But what you did was something different. So tell us the story. Vertical mulching is, is actually frowned upon by the industry because really you are drilling holes under trees and it damages the root system. But Stockley Park is a business park and it's located on the peripheral edges of Heathrow Airport. So it's a very important, uh, to say, lots of organisations like Sony and Canon and Bayer all kind of have offices there. It's this huge, beautifully, heavily manicured landscape with thousands of trees and hundreds of thousands of shrubs and fountains, lots of, uh, you know, pedestrians and traffic. But the dilemma is they have huge issues with uh, compaction. So all these thousands of trees are what we say they are surviving, not thriving. And, and I mentioned uh, growth rate. So on average, they were growing like maybe two centimetres a year. So in 10 years, they will grow 20 centimetres, which is about four or five inch. You know, it's really not much. So the, the problem was that there was such a vast expanse of area that decompacting everything was, it was just impossible. We couldn't do it. So we sat down and we thought, well, can we have an alternative approach? And what happens if we have something like, say, a 500 square meter area with trees and landscape and it's where people sit and have, you know, they come out and they sit under the trees for the shade. You know, we can't decompact it all, but we can't afford to replace our trees. So. I said, why don't we take pockets like islands within that area of say 20 square meters? And why don't we decompact it in such a way that in theory, once we've decompacted it, we can add things to the soil that will slowly move out and decompact the surrounding area. And, and, and of course in nature, what decompacts soil in nature? It's, it's worms. So we started to think about, well, why don't we start looking at adding, you know, worms, put them into these 20 square meter pockets, these little islands, make sure the soil is really well decompacted. We've got lots of organic matter in there. And then in theory, once the worms established, they're going to start to push out. They're going to move from that decompacted area. And, and, and the hope was that with time, these little islands, the worms would push out and actually meet up. So that's exactly what we did. And it was a great trial site because it allowed us to look at a whole range of soil amendments, as in such as biochar, such as slow release fertilizers, such as organic fertilizers. And, and another thing we did, which, which I think you mentioned earlier, was it also allowed us to do what we call a, 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 a green cover crop, where we literally decompacted the soil and, and then sowed like clover. And then of course, later on in winter when the clover dies, it's fixed all the nitrogen. So again, even then we were trying to look at ways and means of really not using any form of letting nature do the work, <laughs> decompact the soil and let nature do the work. And the reason why we went with the vertical mulching is because it, it's actually very quick. I mean, there are other technologies to decompact, and one of them is called air spading, where you use compressed soil. But that is, it does a better job, but it's far more time consuming. 
And what we found with vertical emulsion is for every, you know, we could do eight to 10 square meters of vertical emulsion in the time it took to do one using an air spade. So I'm not saying don't use an air spade because it really is a great tool. This was just a niche situation where we literally had thousands of square meters to decompact. So that was the premise behind it. And what we found over time is those worms are doing exactly what we wanted them to do. They are pushing out and that heavily compacted soil is slowly over time. This experiment's been running for three years. We want it to go for an, at least another two, but they are definitely pushing out and we're just seeing such, the trees are just looking so much better. As, as you mentioned, you referred to my PowerPoint where we have some really great photographs of trees that are in that decompacted worm amended soil versus trees that are still in the compacted soil. It's that's an amazing and exciting experiment and the pictures will be available for people to download when they go back to get the podcast of this show. I want to clarify. So you are putting in if you say, you know, however many square meters in that space, let's say what 5% of the square meters will be of the the holes that you're making. Yes. 5%, let's say. Now you're making the holes and you will fill the holes with a mix of soil and compost and whatever appropriate amendments. Are you actually putting the worms into those holes? Uh, in some cases we, we, we do, we actually add the worms and in other cases, and I, I know it sounds absolutely incredible, but uh, the worms we, we actually use, they were native British worms, which, and, and I couldn't believe it existed, but we actually bought them off the internet. And, and I didn't realize you could buy worms, as in live boxes of worms off the internet, but you can, because they use worms for like composting, food waste, they use tiger worms, but these are specifically designed to decompact soil. So really we just bought these boxes of worms and some we added directly to the hole, and in other cases, we made a bigger hole, amended the soil, and just simply opened the box, gently put the box in the hole, and then just covered up. I mean, there's honestly, there's no real rocket science here. I sometimes feel a bit fraudulent as a scientist saying, it's really that easy. We are just drilling holes and taking away the bad soil and replenishing with a good soil and adding worms. Now, Obviously, the worms in Canada, I don't know what the native worms are in Canada, but they will be different from the UK. Uh, but but in, in my situation, we just simply, as I say, literally got them off the internet and, uh, and, and did exactly what you've just said. Okay, so you've got a site, a large site, you've got your box of worms. Are you expecting each worm to move for miles and miles or is your big hole quite close to the small holes, the vertical mulching holes so that somehow, because they've got terrible soil to be working through. I mean, how are they going to do it? It's, even if you've got a hundred of them in a hole, like they, they might just end up squirming around and hanging around each other, not going anywhere. You know, that's a great point. That's why I was really keen to emphasize the holes really have to be, you know, maximum. 50 centimeters apart, which, which is half a meter, one and a half feet. If you make the holes too far apart, then potentially the worms will exhaust all those resources. And, and you've got too many worms in too small a hole or too great a distance, and they're not going to make it. 
So spacing is critical. So 30 to 50 centimeters apart, three inch deep, go down as well as saying, you know, 12 to 15 inches and, and then add a, add a few worms. And that's what gave us really good results. Obviously over time, we may play around with the spacings, but we know the system we have works really, really well. So we're staying with that. And as I say, we'll, we'll tweak it over time. That's amazing. Okay, well, let's here go to another commercial break. And um, there is still lots of time for listener questions after the break. Um, so just hold on the line for another couple of minutes, if you're okay with that, Glenn. Oh, yes, fine. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by the fruit tree education website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101. And I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. And we'll be back right after this little break. Hi, everyone. Congratulations on investing in a new fruit tree. Fruit trees are a blessing. With just a bit of skilled hands-on care, they can give you plenty of delicious organic fruit for years to come. I'm Susan Poisner, an urban orchardist from Toronto, Canada. And over the years, I've learned that how we care for our trees when they're young will determine their success and productivity in the long term. If you do want to learn more, there's lots more that I would love to teach you like how to prune fruit trees of all shapes, ages, and sizes, how to optimize tree health, and various different ways to protect your trees from pests and disease. So check out my website at orchardpeople.com where you can watch free videos and read great blogs about growing fruit trees. Or you can check out my online certificate in beginner fruit tree care where in just eight hours, including fun and informative videos, interactive quizzes, and information-packed eBooks, you can learn how to keep your tree healthy and productive for years to come. Happy growing from orchardpeople.com. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Whiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You could learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio, 
101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. My guest on the show today is Glenn Percival, who manages the Bartlett Tree Experts Research Laboratory in the United Kingdom. And we've been talking about improving compacted soil using vertical mulching and worm technology. Earlier in the show, we spoke about how compacted soil affects trees, and we spoke about Glynn's successful experiments at Stockley Park in the UK. Now, before we continue on, there are just a few minutes left to enter today's contest. To win a silky handsaw, valued at 105 USD, donated to us by Bartlett Tree Experts. So, do you want a chance to win this wonderful handsaw? Well, then just send us an email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com and send in your question or a comment or just email us to say hi. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. So Glenn, I wonder how exactly you were able to measure the results at Stockley Park. How, how did you know? Was it just by looking at the trees and you saw, okay, one tree looks a little happier than the other, or was there something a little more um, in terms of record keeping that you were able to record? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, for example, I, I kind of touched on earlier that soil is a living, breathing organism. So one of the things you can do is, is literally measure how much oxygen and or carbon dioxide the soil gives off. So we literally looked at the decompacted soil and the amount of uh, carbon dioxide it was producing. And then we looked at the, the compacted soil. And then over time, we could start to take these, these values. So we really looked at below ground. And, and then we knew things were happening because we were starting to see worm casts coming above ground. So we knew that was good. And then the soil that we hadn't treated, we would send it away to look for a nutrient analysis. So this is all kind of the, the sciencey stuff we, we did, you know, below ground. And then also the tree itself, you know, we could measure uh, leaf color. We can measure how green there are various instruments like a leaf chlorophyll content meter, which sounds very geeky and sciencey, but you really just clip a leaf and press a button and it tells you how green, how much chlorophyll there is. So we could measure how much chlorophyll it was putting on. Uh, we, we did more things like look at how much uh, photosynthesis, et cetera. And then what we also did, because there's a lot of interest in trees for their functional value, as in how much pollution are they absorbing? How much uh, shade are they producing to protect from ultraviolet light? So we did a lot more of these measurements as well. So, because importantly, you know, we have to remember that sadly, there's obviously money needs to be behind this. And the people at Stockley Park wanted to see a benefit. So we were looking at all these other hidden benefits and saying, oh, by the way, you now have your canopy has increased by 20, 30%. And they're like, well, so, 
And I'm saying, well, that now means you are now uh, basically, you know, absorbing, you're like neutralizing three or four cars or you're neutralizing a bus with all the pollution it's giving off. So we did lots of these types of measurements. We really wanted to show how much carbon the tree was sequestering. So again, that's kind of important at the moment, you know, in terms with, you know, with climate change and trees are being looked at for carbon sequestration. So we could say, look, our treatment is giving you all these extra functional values. So that's really what, what we did. We did lots of kind of like the, the basics, the, the size increase, the canopy increase, the girth increase, and then how much more pollution, carbon dioxide, how much more dust it was filtering, how much ultraviolet light, you know, protection the tree was giving. It's interesting because in your slideshow, there's a lot of detail. Oh my gosh, there's so much detail. And there's one picture that's really striking and where you show four trees in a row and one says control and it's kind of a small tree. It looks small and the treated one is huge. So the actual, it looks to me like the treated trees actually get bigger and grow more. Oh, oh yeah, that that is, I mean, literally we, we were seeing like, 30, 40% increases in, in oh. canopy size. I mean, we were expecting some benefits, but we were really like, wow. Because when we first set this project up, we just really had no idea it was going to work. So every so often, and, and you know, you kind of go along the lines with experiments and, and a lot of experiments I do tend to be what we call busts. They don't really show that much, but this was was great. We really saw some some excellent benefits from it so yeah which, which visually are quite striking it's amazing guys whoever is listening to this show you really must and i will put it up you must download the powerpoint very interesting lots more information in detail i've got another email here and it's from julie again from scarborough hi again thank you so much for answering my question i was wondering if we would need to prune our trees to reduce stress on them while we work on decompacting the soil? I personally don't prune uh, trees uh, when I'm decompacting, uh, mainly because the decompaction is so heavy, the trees are struggling anyway. And if you start to prune away, you're pruning away leaf area and leaves are the main photosynthetic organ. And, and really the whole point of the decompacting is to really try and get that extra canopy growth because the more canopy growth, then obviously the more kind of what we call photosynthetic productivity, the more energy the tree has. So I personally would not prune while decompacting. I, I would let the tree have as much green leaf area as possible. Okay, and we've got another email. We've got this one is from Hannah from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, mm -hmm. Hello, amazing advice today. Thank you, Susan. And thank you, Glenn. This is great. Okay, let's see if there's any other questions because we have a contest and we need to figure out who the prize winner is. Gary in the studio has been keeping track of who's written in. Yes. Hello, Gary. I'm here. I I have my little bucket here with the names. You want me to draw? Yes. Okay. We hang want on. you to draw. Do you trust him, Glenn? I don't know if we should trust <laughs> Gary. <laughs> He's always up to mischief. He might You're pick right. himself as the prize winner. That's my concern. Yeah, that's a good family member. That's no, that's against the rules. Hang on. Let me let me scramble these up. Okay. And let me reach in. 
and pull one out. And this is, let's see, Roger from How Island, Thousand Islands. Yay, Roger. Fantastic. I remember Roger's story. That's wonderful. Congratulations, Rogers. You, you have a great saw coming your way. I am super jealous. So enjoy that. Now we have just a few more minutes left. And listeners to the show, I don't know if you guys realize this, Glenn is actually a very special person and he has met royalty in his work. So Glenn, can you tell me how it is that you hobnob with royalty and what kind of interactions you've had? I'm, I'm very lucky. I do look after the trees or I help manage and advise on the trees at some of the royal households. And uh, it, it's quite an honor and a, and, and a privilege. Do you want me to quickly tell the story? Yes, yes, please. Okay, the, the first time I, I, I met, uh, it was when I first met the queen and I was, I was in the palace and there are two rules when you're in the palace is no mobile phones and uh, no walking on the ornamental lawns. And my mobile phone went, you know, with the health and safety officer. So I walked right into the middle of the mobile, to the middle of the lawn with the mobile phone, went out of nowhere. These two rather feral corgis came and were ripping away at my bottom of my chainsaw trousers. And, and we have a saying in the UK, I was on the verge of uh, sticking the boot in and I was just about to kick it, which, which I didn't, because then I heard this voice and it said, come here, come here, <laughs> come here you. And there was the Queen of England walking straight towards me and I'm in her ornamental lawn on the mobile phone and she's getting closer and closer and I could not turn the mobile phone off. It wouldn't turn and, and I'm trying to say to the health and safety officer, I've got to go, I've got the Queen of England walking towards me and we say, Yes, yes, of course you have. I said, no, I have. And she's like six feet away from me when I managed to turn the phone off. And she just stopped and she smiled and just smiled so sweetly and just said, well, there was no need to hang up on my account. It might have been somebody important, which I thought was truly wonderful. Oh, that's <laughs> so adorable. That is very sweet. Aww. <laughs> That is such a great story. Glenn, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. I love having you on the show. You're going to have to do some more research on something else amazing because we've got to get you back. back on the show. It's, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure and I will carry on doing lots more research. Good. Do lots of interesting stuff because we're learning a lot from you and all the other amazing experts that come on the show. We may be home growers or small scale growers, but we really benefit from the research that you guys do. So thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Susan. Okay. So that on the line was Glenn Percival, who manages the Bartlett Tree Experts Research Laboratory in the United Kingdom. Now to the listeners, did you enjoy the show today? I really hope so. And if you did, I'd love to ask you a favor. This podcast can be downloaded from a lot of different podcatchers like iTunes and Stitchers and shows with more ratings are promoted to more new viewers. So I would love it if you could go to your podcatcher and rate and review this show. Your ratings and feedback make me feel great, which is really nice, but they will also help bring more listeners to the show, making it possible for me to continue producing the show for many, many years to come. So I'd love it if you could do that. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you guys in the ratings. And that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. To listen again or to download other episodes, you can find them all at orchardpeople.com slash podcast. 
I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you guys next month. Listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com/podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month, and each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.